Well, we come to John's Gospel, chapter 17, and uh, I'm going to read the whole of the uh, chapter, if I may. It's a little bit longer than I normally read, but um, let, let's uh, do this, and I, I want to do it because it's the prayer of Jesus for you, uh, and therefore I think it's one of the most important uh, bits of Scripture. So let's uh, read John chapter 17, and starting at verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, for you have granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you had sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, that they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify uh, myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity and let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. 
I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Let us pray. Father, as we open this incredible prayer, I pray that you would speak to us and grant to us understanding and wisdom, but also responsive hearts that we may indeed follow what we hear into action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, over the last months, I've had the immense privilege of uh, being able to preach through my favorite part of the Bible, and uh, times when I haven't been speaking the evening, others have taken up uh, John's Gospel, chapter 10, all the way through to what we've read this evening from John 17. Absolutely my favorite chapters in uh, Scripture. And John 17, I believe, is immensely significant for us as a church. Uh, For us as individuals, certainly, but also as a church as we contemplate vacancy and perhaps reflect on the past and on the future that we pray for. In Orangeville, we have a very diverse congregation. We have a great sense of unity about quite a number of things, about the gospel about mission. Uh, We we have a great sense of of unity about wanting to do the right thing. Maybe don't always agree what that right thing is, but we all want to do the right God-honoring thing. But we're not a homogenous church. We have a variety of opinions about all sorts of things, worship styles, gifts of the Spirit, how we structure church, how we understand evolution and creation, how we work out our lifestyle, how we understand politics and so forth. It's it's natural and indeed spiritually healthy that we have a wide variety of opinions on all sorts of things. But remember, God does not ask for uniformity. He asks for unity. Uh, And I've often said, and uh, forgive the repetition of this, for me, The Apostles' Creed, which we're not looking at tonight, and we won't refer to beyond this uh, short comment, the Apostles' Creed, to me, provides the red lines of my Christian faith. If you Google the Apostles' Creed, you'll you'll find out what it says. But if you begin to mess with some of the things it says, for example, if you say, I don't really believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Maybe it was in the psychology of his disciples that helped them get over their, their grief and so forth. If you begin to mess with the Apostles' Creed, then I've got an issue with you because my understanding is that these things are fundamental to what it is to be a Christian. But if you say to me, I've got a different view on gifts of the Spirit or a different view on adult baptism over infant baptism and all these things, I say, well, these are not the red line issues. These are secondary issues. And it is around those first-order issues that Orangeville has tremendous unity, and I'm very thankful to God for that. But Jesus does not pray for uniformity. I said a moment ago, he prays for our unity. And what I want us to grasp this evening, what I believe God wants us to understand, is that this great God whose praises we've been singing, this holy and pure, all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful, eternal God is praying for us individually and as a church. And that's good news, isn't it? But I have two questions when I read this prayer of Jesus, and I, and I, I want to ask them tonight. Why is Jesus 
And therefore, why is God praying for us, and what is He praying for us? So let's look, first of all, as why is God praying for us. Verse 6 tells us, we are God's gift to Jesus. I have revealed you, said Jesus to His Father, those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. How incredible is that? You and I are God's gift to Jesus. We sometimes hear it said derogatively that so-and-so thinks he or she's God's gift to man. And yet the truth is that you and I are God's gift to Jesus. Utterly, utterly incredible. And in fact, if each Christian in the church is God's gift to Jesus, therefore, you and I are a gift to each other as well. And if that is our position in Christ, how can we ever cut ourselves off from other Christians? How can we ever think of ourselves as superior to or better than other Christians? And how can we understand anything other than that all of us meet Jesus at the cross in a a level playing field, as it were, and every single one of us, however we think of one another in terms of how the world might think, we are to think of one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me ask you a question. If instead of thinking of yourself as God's gift to Jesus, if you had to buy Jesus a present, what would you buy him? What would you buy? If you had a present to buy for Jesus, what would you buy him? Would you bring him gold or silver or platinum or, or, or perhaps a, a fabulous big mansion or a, 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 a fabulous big car? Uh, and all these things, I, don't, I think he would say, that don't impress me much. Because if we believe that Jesus is the creator and king of kings, he owns all these things anyway. So there's nothing that you could give him that would impress him. But what has God done? He has given you and me as a gift to Jesus, and that's incredible. I want to tell you a little story about the bowls. I was at the bowls not that long ago, and uh, I won a prize. And I was so excited. I had never in 32 years won a prize at the bowls before. And they gave it to me in this great big party bag. It was, you know, one of the bigger ones. And it was all shiny and sparkly. And it was taped over the top. So I said to them, oh, thank you so much. I'm not going to open this. I'm going to run home with it and show my wife and we'll open it together. So I I ran home and it was raining a bit. And I I got through the rain, through the door, coat off. And I I said to Barbara, look, I've got a prize from the bowls, a wonderful gift. And so we sat down in the settee and I took the tape off and I opened up the bag. And it was, I have to say, a light bag. But there at the bottom of the bag was a pair of socks. Still with the price label, £1.99 on them. Uh, And as if that wasn't bad enough. They were size six. Anybody wants to know? I'm a size nine. Size six pair of socks. And I said to Barbara, hmm, that's the first gift I've got from the bulls. It'll probably be the last. That don't impress me much. And maybe we think tonight that we're a little bit like that sad little pair of socks at the bottom of a big bag, that when we think of ourselves as God's gift to Jesus, 
We think of ourselves as, well, you know, I'm not that holy. I'm not that spiritual. I'm not that good a Christian. I'm, I'm full of failures, and I've done this and I've done that. And, and, and maybe we think that when, when Jesus opens the gift bag and says, oh, look, God has given Ken to me or your name to me, how we think, oh, what a, what a letdown. Jesus loves the gift. Jesus loves the gift so, so much. I wonder, can you take it in what it really means that you and I are so precious to God? He died for each one of us. We know all that. But have you ever wondered why it is that God should love us so? What have we got to commend ourselves to a holy, almighty, and just God? Yet time and time again, the Bible speaks of the tenderness of God towards us. He is the father in the story Jesus told about of the prodigal son who was looking out the road every day to hope that the boy would come back. And when he sees the boy, he runs in the heat of the day, losing his dignity and embraces the son and says, come home, my son that was dead is alive again. He is the shepherd who, uh, uh, as we learned this afternoon at our senior service, left the 99 sheep uh, to go and look for the one that was lost Uh, And when he found it, he brings it home on his shoulders rejoicing. He is the Lord God of whom the prophet Zechariah wrote this, Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8. To me, one of the most incredible verses of Scripture. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is, you know, God saying, when you hear Lord Almighty, you're saying, this is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, saying, whoever touches you, touches the apple of his eye. Can you believe that, that God looks upon you as the apple of his eye, his chosen favorite, his loved one, his gift from the Father to Jesus, a wonderful, wonderful picture. So have you ever thought of yourself as the apple of God's eye? Have you ever thought of yourself as the object of God's love? Have you ever wondered why it is that Jesus, when he said we'd receive the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would enable us to cry out, Abba, Father, in the Aramaic, literally, Dada or Daddy? Because it's God saying to us, I'm a God of relationship. I'm not a God of rules and regulations and of all the things that you've got to go through hoops and hoops and hoops before I will meet you. He says, you're the apple of my eye. You're the object of my love. You're the image in which I created you to be like myself. And so what does that mean for me? Well, it means this. Part of our vision is that we learn to care for one another. Our new vision just launched. If you haven't got a copy, please take one of the uh, vestibule table or resource area that, that you, you know, uh, Johnny Campbell put it so well this morning that, that some people might think that the vision's a bit simple, a bit generic, but here's the thing. If you and I are the apple of God's eye and our brothers and sisters in Christ, and if we are to truly care for one another in the body of Christ, then I will treat you with the utmost respect. 
I won't manipulate you or exploit you or use you. I won't look down upon you. I won't exclude you. I won't mistreat, misrepresent, or misquote you. I won't gossip about you, but will honor you as part of the family of God, my brother and sister in Christ. For the truth is that we're all God's gift to Jesus and therefore to one another. And that's why Jesus prays for us. He prays for you because you're his precious gift. But he also prays for us because we have obeyed God's word. He says that again in verse 6. He said, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. How can Jesus not love us when we obey his word? This is the authoritative, reliable uh, word of God for faith and practice, for teaching us, for giving us principles for living This is God's Word. So when we obey it, how can Jesus be anything other than delighted that we are obeying His Word? And His heart leaps with joy of knowing that the special gifts from the Father want to be like the Father by reading His Word and putting it into practice and learning to become more and more like Jesus. We're going to be people in our vision, we say, who will read this Word of God. And let me challenge you. This little bookmark that some of you will have received uh, has on the back of it my response. So what is your response to things like we're going to hunger for God's Spirit, read our Bibles, and so forth? Let me ask you, if I dare, when was the last time you read the Bible apart from in a Sunday service? And maybe one of the things that you and I could do is to Just have an absolute conversation with God that says, Lord, I want to begin reading your word. And you may need to find new ways of doing it. It might be uh, an app from Alpha Bible Reading or something else from Scripture Union or notes from SU or something. You know, I I find that if you just open the Bible at a a random page that it, it, it can get a bit difficult to read. So I always find a system using... Bible reading notes or something that gives me a passage each day. You know, if we were people of the Word of God, it used to be that Protestants were called people of the Word. And the theory was that the Catholic Church didn't have the Word, and masses were in Latin and, 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 and so forth, and we were the people of the Word. Well, we have abused the privilege. We have got so used to having so many Bibles. I have so many Bibles in my house. I'd like to throw them out. I don't know about you. I feel guilty throwing a Bible out to you. You sort of feel, you know, I mean, it's like King James. It's underlined and scored and pages ripped and color-coded things that you've scribbled over the years, and you haven't used it for about 40 years, and you still don't think you should throw it out. But how many Bibles have you got in your house? And how often do you lift one of them up? and read them regularly. We have obeyed God's Word. That's why Jesus prays for us. He also prays for us because he says that his his people have recognized him. Uh, Look at verse 8 of John chapter 17. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them, people of the Word. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and that they believed that you had sent me. They recognized Jesus. Jesus knows all about rejection. He knows all about what it is to be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows what it is to be 
forsaken and rejected and alone. But when he sees you and I recognizing him and accepting him rather than rejecting him, he prays for us. And he prays for us also because we've taken our stand in the world for Jesus. Do you know in Orangefield, over 600 people have professed faith publicly in this or some other church in the past. Uh, Last week, 11 people professed faith for those baptized as adults. Uh, And this morning, there were uh, eight parents or four sets of parents who professed faith as their infants were baptized. Uh, And we were celebrating this morning around 40 of our members are involved this summer in going out to share their faith with others in Ireland and overseas, never mind the team that will do jam here, those who work in Clarawood, those who have been working in Clonduff and are uh, continuing to work there, not forgetting those who week after week in youth and adult organizations share Christian faith. Is it little wonder that Jesus then wants to pray for us? And look at verse 14 of John 17. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He prays for us because we've taken our stand and accepted him. So that's why he prays for us. But what is he praying for us? Now, notice something very particular about verse 9. Uh, I don't know if you noticed it when we read the passage at the beginning. He says in verse 9, I pray for them, I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And here's the thing. If any of us here tonight happens not to be a Christian, this prayer is not for you. And I find that a a very sobering thing. He, He makes this clear. I am not praying for the world, not not praying for those outside of the family of God, outside of the church. I'm praying for those who belong to me, said Jesus. And if you want all the benefits of what Jesus is doing and has done and is praying for you, and you're not yet part of his family, oh, he would just love it if you came to him tonight and said, Lord, I want to accept you, and I want to be your gift Uh, And will you take me and and use me for your kingdom? Uh, He he loves prayers like that. But he's saying here, I'm praying not for the world, but for the church. Uh, In a sense, the cross is inscribed with the message, God is love. And I wonder how people resist God's love. Maybe people's minds get messed up with all kinds of wrong images or pictures of God Maybe people have that idea about the church that somehow, you know, church people are a bit creepy and a bit religious. And then when they come and find out that actually we're a community of love and care and compassion uh, and, and quite reasonable people, changes their perspective. But Jesus says, I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. And so what does he pray for the church, for you and I? We belong to Jesus. He prays, first of all, for our unity. Verse 11, I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you've given me, so that here's the dynamite. Here is the absolute dynamite, that they may be one as we are one. That is unbelievably 
incredible. That Jesus prays for, I, I, I feel like that little pair of socks at the bottom of that big gift bag. And Jesus prays for me and for you that we may be one, not just that we'd have some kind of lovey-dovey, sentimental, you know, you know, like minister's handshake people. You know the classic minister's handshake is when the minister holds his hand out and he doesn't do anything with it, and it's like clutching a piece of wet fish. Uh, and he doesn't want that kind of community. He wants a community of love who are truly united, and unity is an incredible thing. And we understand that Jesus and God and the Spirit are one. We don't understand what that means. We can think of a, a three-leaf clover with one stem and three leaves, and however we understand and try to get our heads around the Trinity, the fact is that we have one God revealed in three persons, and Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and then he says, but I want that your unity would be identical to that which is in the Trinity. But that is mind-boggling stuff. You see, whatever our views are or the things that we differ about, I ask the question tonight, could we recognize that we have the same spiritual parenthood? Could we recognize that God has only got the one family and that each child in that family is a part of the family? Could we recognize that our relationship with Jesus is far more important than any issues we have different opinions about those second-order questions? Could we recognize the absolutely unique thing about the Christian church as opposed to any other uh, uh, religion or any other grouping is the extent of our love for one another in Christ Jesus? Disunity is a scandal because Jesus prays for a unity so deep as to be organic, to have us connected with him so that we cannot be separated from him and therefore should not ever be separated from one another. And the words of Jesus are just mind-blowing. And let's look at some more of those in verse 21. And he says his prayer is that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This unity is that we might be located in a new place within the Trinity of God, that our spiritual lives are located no longer in the world, but we are now in Christ. And because we are in Christ, then the sins that we commit are no longer Sin's committed because we're enslaved to sin, because sin no longer rules over us, but we're located in Christ, even within the heart of the Trinity. And that should mean an impetus to holy living, because if we are located in Christ and have a unity that Jesus says that they may be found in us, even as you are in them, then I've got to live a life that's holy and pure and just and fair and righteous I've got to be the kind of person that I said earlier on that we won't mistreat one another, misuse one another, misquote one another, or misrepresent one another, or abuse one another in any other way, because we're located now in Christ, and our unity springs from that organic union with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what else does Jesus pray for us? He prays for our protection. 
verses 11 and 12. I'll remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. And and see also verse 15 of the prayer. And this is so significant. Listen, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. This morning we baptized a little baby who had been through seven hours of heart surgery at a week old. A baby that will need more surgery in the future. Wonderful parents, Mark and Don, love little Isaac to bits, and Isla, their daughter's been a star. But that child is going to need a lot of medical attention in the future. Uh, he'll never probably be able to play sport or do a lot of physical activity. And the parents have a hard journey, and we covenanted that we will pray for them in the future. There's no magic in Christianity that says you'll never face difficulty or problems. There's no magic in Christianity that says you will be uh, uh, you know, free from getting cancer or free from getting uh, unemployed or free from getting negativity from people around you. No magic whatsoever at all. But Jesus prays not that you would be taken out of the world, not that you'd be cocooned in a soapy bubble and and float to heaven uh, without ever having faith tested or faith uh, improved through all the things that happened in the world. I say, Jesus, Lord, I don't pray that you'll take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. And here's the thing. The devil cannot change my salvation. The devil cannot rob me of my salvation. The devil has no power over my future. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns and Jesus alone has that power. So, you know, whatever happens to me in the body, whatever happens in my life that is bad and all the bad stuff of the world, nothing can pluck me from hands of Jesus. Nothing can take me away from him. And he has prayed, Father, I pray protection upon those who accept me, who obey my word. And you know, the world needs to see what a Christ-governed, Christ-transforming, Christ-honoring life is like. Because the world needs to know is our faith real. There was a, a guy, I wish I could remember his name, a Muslim a uh, man who was invited to speak on question time earlier this week, and uh, the people he worked for in a police partnership uh, body uh, didn't want him to do it, and he resigned his job in order to be able to uh, speak. And he said something that I thought really, I, I wish had come from the mouth of a Christian, but I'm pleased that it came from him. He talked about the prevent program that the government has to try and de-radicalize those who are caught up in extreme Islamic uh, teaching and Islamic fundamentalism. And he said, some people give a, a, a cause to die for. I want to give people a reason to live. And if we haven't got a reason to live because of Jesus and the salvation he brings, I don't know what else is a reason to live. 
and he prays for our protection, that he will keep us in his hand and not let anything rob us of heaven because he's given us a reason to live and a reason to hope. Getting very near the end. What else does he pray for us? He prays for our sanctification, verse uh, 17. Uh, I'm not going to spend uh, any, any time in this because I've alluded to it uh, uh, earlier on, but he says uh, in verse 17, uh, if I could read it, sanctify them by the truth your word is truth. I don't know about you whether you think sanctification is a, a kind of Holy Spirit zapping process. You know, we say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, boom, and I'll be holy. And, and yes, God fills us, and I pray every day, God, fill me with your Spirit, because I need to be filled again and again and again and again. But here's the thing. The more we imbibe God's Word, the more the Spirit will work in our lives. The more we understand and apply God's Word to our lives, the more the Spirit will open us up to the heart of God. Because, you see, Jesus said the Spirit will lead you into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit who takes the words of this book and applies them to your hearts and enables us to have the power to live for Jesus. And so when Jesus prays for our sanctification or being made holy, we are in a process of being transformed. But if we're not reading the Word and being people who are responsive to it and obedient to it, then how can the Spirit ever change us? Read the Word. Be transformed. And the last thing he prays for us is this. That, 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 I mean, there's many other things I could have said, but uh, it's like highlighting a few selected verses. Jesus prays for us to be fruitful missionaries. I find this quite interesting. Verse 18 of John 17. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Wow. God is a God with mission right through his veins. God is a sending God. He sent Jesus, and, and, and Jesus said, Just, Lord, as you sent me, I've sent them into the world. As Johnny was saying this morning, your front line uh, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock when you roll out of bed uh, is where Jesus has placed you. And because he's not asking us to be taken out of the world it may be that there's that difficult relationship. It may be at home. It may be in work. It may be uh, with a neighbor in the street, and there's problems and difficulties. It, it may be that you're going through a tough time, I, I, and, and Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm not praying that you be taken out of that, but I, I'm actually sending you in there to be my representative. I remember talking to a man who worked in a very large company, and uh, they had a thousand employees. And he said, as far as he knew, he was the only Christian. And he said, many of the time I thought about leaving, but God told me, I have placed you there as my missionary. And Jesus prays for us to be fruitful missionaries, that we would love our neighbors at home and overseas, wherever they may be, but starting on our doorstep. And this is uh, verse 20 and 21 and 22. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also 
for those who will believe in me through their message. I love that. You see, as Jesus prays for us, he's saying, I want to pray fruitfulness into your lives. I want to pray that you would be the kind of people who by the lives you live and by the words you speak and the actions you perform will draw people to me, says Jesus, that you will have a fruitfulness of others coming to faith because of your life. Uh, And then verse 21, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Our unity is important because how can the world believe if they see nothing in the church that commends them to God or to the Christian faith? So what I want to do as we conclude is just to read these verses from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 12 to 17, but I'm going to read them from the message version of the, the Bible Uh, translated by Eugene Peterson. I, I love the way he puts this. And if you remember nothing from tonight's talk at all, would you take a note of Colossians 3, 12 to 17 and read these verses again and again and again. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God has picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the Master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It is your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other, in step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing and create or cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of your house Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Live a life of love and unity in Christ. Just as we ask the worship team to come up, let's close our eyes and pray. And uh, as we pray, could we thank God for his word tonight? But I sense that for some people there are issues that have been raised, and if God has been saying something to you, pointing something out to you, would you just take a moment of quiet to to make that right with God, to ask God to give you his Holy Spirit that you may have wisdom to know what to do, how to respond. may even be a lack of love towards someone that you, you would really struggle to, to claim as a brother or sister in Christ. You need to pray for that person and to pray that you would know how to make it right. Whatever the issue is, just take a moment or two of quiet and do business with God.
And it may be that those words in Colossians about the wardrobe that we need to put on and how we should live and behave are things that you really need to put into practice. And maybe even at this moment, if you haven't done so, you might need to take a wee note, Colossians three twelve to 17, and determine to go home and read those or to pick up those verses during the week and reflect upon them. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight that the prayer of Jesus for the church, not the world, but for the church, is that we might be one even as you are one in the wondrous mystery of the Trinity. Forgive us, Lord, when we show to the world anything less than unity and love and grace, and faithfulness, and mercy, and compassion, and empathy. And grant that we may all determine to put on the wardrobe that you supply. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.